0: Hi, this is Jeremy Schwartz, Global Head of Research at WisdomTree.
1: This is Li Chen Ren, Director of Modern Alpha, WisdomTree ETFs. Welcome to China of Tomorrow podcast, where we discuss the businesses, economic and financial markets in China and Asia. Today, we are joined by Mr. Jeff Lee, Portfolio Manager at EFG Asset Management, uh, based in UK. Jeff, uh, welcome. Please give us a little bit of your um, journey to EFG.
2: Absolutely. Uh, thanks for thanks for having me. It's a great pleasure. So, uh, my our, so our parent company EFG International is a top five private banks in Switzerland. Uh, I work at the asset management arm uh, of the firm, which is called EFG Asset Management. It has about thirty billion AUM, spreading between different asset asset classes. And in terms of style, we were predominantly a quality growth house uh, with, and uh, it's super long-term capital. Our clients are either uh, individuals who have generations of money with us or institutions who tend to be pension fund and other wealth management platforms. So uh, the nature of the capital are long-term which allow us to, to do the right thing. Uh, in terms of myself, I've been with the firm since 2012. Uh, so pushing it to to, to uh, nine years now, uh, I head up the global equity team here and personally uh, responsible for about five products uh, in that product range. Before I joined the firm, I started my career at uh, on the sell side, firstly at Goldman Sachs and UBS. These are all in London. Uh, and before I joined EFG, I spent a few years at a global emerging market firm as well. So that's that's me.
0: <laughs> Very interesting, Jeff. Again, thanks for joining us. When you you know coming from a European client base and in Switzerland, it's interesting. I mean, Lee Chen and I are here in the U.S. Uh, and I, I'm curious from a geopolitical standpoint. I mean, China is front and center. How would you say and I don't know if you can contrast the attitude you see in the U.S. versus Europe, how would you say attitudes towards China and sentiment towards investing in a China region are today?
2: Uh, I suppose um, this is a really interesting question. So uh, my humble observation. uh, So I I noticed that um, there's a lot of sensitivity for U.S. asset management firms to invest in China, increasingly so these days. But even without the geopolitical uh, aspect, they have been quite slow. U.S. asset management firm has been quite slow in looking at China as a market. Uh, whereas European uh, asset management firms are much more advanced, um, they were. They, I suppose, it's because they uh, they as a small part of the world, uh, they're more uh, they're more open to opportunities elsewhere. Uh, that's why you, when you look at the leading asset management firms uh, with leading Asia franchise, um, it's mostly European companies. It's, um, uh, that so that that kind of answer in a way answered your question about you know the the general attitude towards investing in Asia, particularly in China. They are more open-minded. Um, it's it's they, they they will. I think it might be easier for European for a European investor to assess uh, assess the world's opportunity in terms of investment on a more balanced view. Uh, there's there's less um, uh, there's less uh, uh, in in terms of m- mental uh, hurdles in t- when uh, when I explore the opportunities out there. This is also the same case for European firms. We, if you look at the European, you know, for example, telecom companies, they they've been investing in Asia for for, for ages, and they have huge Asian operations. Uh, that goes, um, yeah. So you're, I, I think, I, I think my personal prediction is going forward. Uh, European will be more on a on a relatively neutral um, stance uh, w- when it comes to um, China U.S. competition and try to benefit benefit from both sides. Uh, yeah.
1: Thank you. Um, I think that's a very uh, interesting observation because you um and I we grew up in China, right? If I remember correctly. Um. So what's your you know. You know, I, I think when we when we see a different investment um, opportunities or, or processes, it's a little bit different. Um, if if you know, if just pure, purely uh, based here, what's your investment process like? Uh, I know you have a quant background, uh, a little bit of quant. But, uh, uh, what kind of quant signals do you incorporate in your investment process?
2: Right. Uh, so I, I do have a, a engineering degree uh, when I was in in Tsinghua but uh, I didn't actually get to use them when I start working. Uh, it's, uh, you know, with turn out to be we were purely von- fundamental, bottom up. Um, uh, so the investment process uh, is very simple, very straightforward. Uh, three sentences. One, find the best businesses in the world. Two, buy them when they are attractively valued. And three, hold them for the long term. So obviously, um, it's it's easy to say those uh, philosophy, but obviously everybody have a his or his or her own definition of best businesses. So in we 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 define this uh, by companies that take four boxes: one, sustainable access cash flow generation, backed by economic mode; two, sustainable long term growth; three. Good management team and four good ESG standard. So when a company meets these criteria, we are fairly confident that this business will will be able to compound over time. Uh, we have a process internally uh, called conviction framework, and that goes across many products we offer. Uh, this framework is a process that systematically assess a company against those four pillars that I just mentioned: cash flow, growth management team and ESG and we evaluate each company's long-term ability to compound uh, based on these four pillars and then we explore the mismatch between the ability, this ability and its valuation, its current valuation. Uh, The unique thing about this process is that we translate this, uh, our forward-looking assessment into a scoring system. So each company is assigned a conviction score and is a score that capture uh, both the company's quality and its valuation so really allow it allow us to compare investment opportunities globally across different regions and sectors
0: you you also run a from what I understand jeff you, you sort of focus some on global some on china maybe before we drill into some of the specific china stories mm-hmm. you know the that quality and value trade off is very interesting like how would you describe you know, China as a whole and some of the, the, the quality growth stocks you like, how do they the China stocks look on a valuation basis compared to other quality growth stocks around the world? Very good question. So, um, uh,
2: the first, so what firstly, when it comes to growth and value debate, which is very topical at the moment, um, we've, we firmly believe that it's you know growth is a subset of value so you need to you can't look at value without looking at growth uh, a low a PE of a company of PE of 10 is that cheap or expensive it, it's not very informative because it doesn't tell you anything about those four things i talk about um cash flow generation long-term growth opportunity management team and esg a PE ratio doesn't tell you any of those it's just a ratio between two numbers e versus uh, P so um, so what we've um, uh, what we look at is um, holistically every business when we look at uh, we assess those uh, the company against those, those four pillars and when it comes to valuation we look at we use DCF we don't we, we use P or other multiples as a reference. But we use DCF because DCF is because we're talking about long term compounding. And uh, so we go back to the basis, uh, discounted cash flow, which is capturing the long term compounding mechanism, but give it enough enough um, uh, opportunity to exhaust the whole growth story. Uh, So instead of doing a three, four, five years DCF, we do a 30 year DCF over 30 year horizon. Most of the company would go back to a normalized rate, a rate of growth, which is should be in line with the GDP. And all the margin potential would have been achieved. So we look at the company and backed out what they should be worth now. And we do it in a way that considering the company uh, from a probability distribution perspective. So the company, we, uh, very often people do this, when I do DCF, they use a single point estimate. Uh, as if the world is going to play out exactly like that line. But the world, in fact, is a probability distribution. It could be a company's future can be very good and can be very bad. How do we capture this probability distribution? So we do very different, uh, we do different scenario based analysis. So DCF for super bull case, super bad case and base case. Then we have an idea where the company's valuation is versus to the versus to the distribution. Now um, this doesn't go. Uh, is is obviously you can tell this is not a same angle when uh, the uh, when some of our clients or fund selectors are talking about growth versus value because in their book in their definition, value is low PE stocks and growth is company that can generate growth, potentially high P. But if I can, we can capture a good growth company with reasonable valuation from uh, based on our analysis that's the best case scenario so uh, so that's how we that's you know the point number 1 how we look at growth versus value we don't think is that simple the world is way too complicated to 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 divide it in just growth versus value now to answer your question on the uh, uh, of China in terms of growth uh, quality growth perspective, how how expensive is China versus the rest of the world's growth quality growth universe? Uh, excellent question. So it's uh, uh, China obviously has uh, in my book. So I've been a global global PM looking at different regions, assessing different different opportunities. China stands out in terms of the growth opportunity. I can I can say uh, in terms of finding long-term growth opportunity, China and U.S. are the two most uh, promising market uh, for the next several decades. Now, uh, so for that reason, China the, the growth opportunities in China aren't going to be quite aren't going to be cheap. Um, the combination of a uh, massive market in some area you have low penetration and in those areas, you have some dominant players emerging and those areas can have those small play those several players can capture all the growth opportunities provided by the you know the pen, pen, adopt, adoption curve as long as the general economy which is growing at a, at a higher rate than the, than the rest of the world and they they're going to be ten baggers or even 20 30 baggers over time and uh, no matter, you know, uh, very often market market multiples doesn't capture this. I'll give you one example. Uh, Tencent as a stock um, is um, is uh, is not given the investment opinion, just purely for debate uh, uh, discussion purpose. Tencent as a stock uh, was um, never trading at cheap multiples. Um, it, when it was IPO'd, I think it was trading around uh 50 or 60 times and uh everybody look at the multiple would say is the company look cheap uh, look expensive um but um but the if we knew that the company would compound earnings by 20 by 30 percent over the next uh, 15 years you you know we did a mental experiment experiment assuming we know at the point of ipo the company we knew they were going to expand, uh, compound their earnings by thirty percent a year. What's the fair value for the stock to to allow us to generate no excess return, just you know very average market level return? Not, uh, I mean, to to, to for, for, the company has been generating thirty percent return since then uh, annualized. But let's assume it generate only you know seven or eight eight percent return. What kind of price would you pay? to uh, what kind of price would it be traded at to a- allow you to generate only seven to eight percent, even when the earnings are growing 30 percent compounded. We come up with a we come up with a, val- a, val- a valuation of uh, uh, something like uh, s- several hundred times rather than, uh, you know, 60, 50 times. So it's it was obvious that the market was underestimating the company's potential. Um, that's why that's why. Um, we, we that's the drawback of of PEP valuation. Um, so in a lot of cases, I think Chinese companies look expensive. Even today, uh, after two years bull market, um, lo- they look expensive on PE ratio basis. But if you compare the growth opportunity ahead of them versus the rest of the world, um, there are some cases I would I wouldn't say universally they are cheap, but it's, it's fairly valued. Or even undervalued in, in in many cases versus to their potential um, growth opportunity. So it's case by case, as always. But I wouldn't call out China as a as a very expensive, a uh, quality growth market versus you know say U.S.
1: Um, so sitting in Europe, um, how do you research Chinese or Asian, uh, con- you know, com- stocks that um, you do fundamental, you know, aside from the typical data you got? Um, can you give us, you know, some examples? I mean, it doesn't have to be stock level, but like, you know, particular sector or like, do you reach out to the Chinese companies um, to talk to them specifically?
2: absolutely so uh, obviously we, we have a global team so um although i uh, uh i'm i put i'm the conduit of the global team and g- aggregate everything together but we do have a um we do have an asia team um uh, sitting in hong kong so uh they are my eyes and ears on, uh, locally and they do visit companies uh, day in day out as they're businesses. This is before COVID, but uh, we expect this to return to normal uh, soon as well. Then uh, I personally also fly over at least twice a year to, to visit companies, uh, do, a, do, do a research trip, um, attending conferences, etc. Uh, as, we, as we know, it's a, it's a market with high, very high research entry barrier um the the you know the, the very often the, the filings are in local languages and you 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 really need to uh it's increasingly so you really need to be uh you know living in china for speaking the language to to really uh to really make sense of a lot of the new things um uh, I, th- I find uh, very often when I attend a conference calls with uh, just pure English-speaking investors who haven't been living in China, it's really str- they really struggle to understand a lot of things that's going on.
1: I think uh, you know that's our hope. You know we can um, bring uh, a little bit more local perspectives. That's why Jeremy and I was starting this podcast hopefully provide uh, a little bit on the ground. I think um, uh, in terms of. Uh, Chinese companies, uh, like, how do you look at China? Like, do you start with a theme and then drill down on specific companies?
2: Oh, yes. Uh, so, OK, so uh, this, is, uh, this, this is a relevant question for, for, for China, for sure. So w- when I manage different portfolios, so the global, when I manage a global portfolio, I, I start, I basically start with pure Quality of the company. I just try to find the best companies everywhere. For China specifically, I think it makes sense to start with the themes, and then find the best companies that that representing the themes. Um, uh, So, uh, what are the themes? We we identified uh, eight themes. Uh, So four of them are about consumption. Four of them are about um, manufacturing. So if if I briefly introduce you you to the themes, Uh, these are uh, in consumer, in consumption related themes, we can we invest in China consumer brands. People increasingly, the younger generation increasingly prefer local brands versus uh, foreign brands. That's that's a theme that's uh, live and it can potentially be quite big. uh, the second theme in consumer is consumer technology, and we, uh, you know, companies we often we know about uh, from from overseas perspective is are these companies. Um, so the, the China, Chinese consumers are very sophisticated with consumer technology and e-commerce and all that stuff. Uh, so uh, an, another hunting ground for for ideas. Uh, the third theme on uh, consumption is pen- rising penetration of services. Uh, as we, uh, as the country's income level continue to increase, there will be increasing penetration of services in, in your total spending. Um, the, so in financials or on tourism or on, on any other um, services, wealth management, etc. Uh, and the last theme in consumption is uh, surging healthcare demand. Uh, we have an aging population. So, that's with a country of that scale aging uh, quite rapidly, it's going to create a very big tr- multi year trend. And in, when it comes to manufacturing, also four themes. Number one is uh, manufacturing upgrade. So, uh, we're no longer, China is no longer a low end manufacturing country, it's graduating into the high end uh, perspective. And there are there's, there's certain companies and sectors that's going to do extremely well when that happens. For example, automations, uh, um, et cetera. And then uh, the uh, second thing in manufacturing is China's innovative technology. So while China are moving up the value chain, uh, upgrading, some of them are already become global leaders. So this theme is to capture that. So where does China lead globally? These are solar, wind, EV. Uh, battery, uh, AI, etc. All, all these, there are loads of companies that that, that are trying to, uh, they're already, uh, if you look at the so, whole solar value chain, it's dominated by Chinese company. And when the whole world become greener, they are obviously the biggest beneficiary. Uh, and the third theme in manufacturing is import substitution. I think a few of your, your guests before in the past forecast uh, also mentioned this. So um, the we are, we have a huge amount of in certain area in the market uh, in the economy, that's a huge amount of opportunity to gain market share from foreign manufacturers by simply becoming at quality, as good as quality, uh, quality wise, but slightly cheaper, providing more services. Uh, and we see this uh, becoming a meaningful way um, in many sectors, including semiconductor, I'm not calling out semiconductor; the whole value chain being substituted, but certain certain area, uh, which doesn't require super high-end, uh, advanced manufacturing of semiconductor. Totally, the, these areas can have lots of scope for for, for local players to capture uh, market share. And last last uh, angle from um, uh, manufacturing in terms of theme is hidden champions. We call them hidden champions because as as we research the China, especially the local a share market, uh, we realize there's so many um, companies that that are already dominating They're niche players, but they're dominating their their industry with very high market share um, in in some cases, monopoly. and we average people don't really know about them. Is they're mostly to be business so they're not consumer brands but they are so we call them hidden champions and 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 they they're gonna do very well as as the economy continue to grow and some of the trend I talked earlier will benefit them as well um, so these are the themes that I uh, that we we generally focus on and and then obviously if I th- want if I can throw in a, a new new development over the last year which is carbon neutrality and that's uh, uh, that's a massive policy direction, and, and it's uh, China is committed to carbon neutrality by the year of 2060. Uh, very aggressive target, and it's going to shift the whole manufacturing space profoundly. Uh, so there will be companies that are providing a solution for achieving that target. And also there will be some companies that will be impacted by the policy shift. But uh, in a, in a in a positive way, so, uh, yeah. So so that's, yeah. So, so those are the things I would focus on.
1: That, that's great because I think um in, in our future podcast, uh you mentioned about surging healthcare demand. You know we're gonna talk with our uh hospital uh eye surgery. You know used to be considered mm-hmm. um you know not not many people can afford or dental right these kind of services mm-hmm. now now people getting older and also getting richer there's a huge healthcare demand and we also hoping to talk to uh, some startup companies that focus on manufacturing upgrades using big data using you know higher um i think uh i wouldn't call it ai but um like using more digit digital uh digitalization of manufacturing process uh automation and the last thing uh we we are also uh bringing a guest who is probably one of the you know 15 years ago one of the few people who has been talking about esg and to get his views so these are indeed you know very emerging scenes um when tell us uh when you are researching companies uh in asia but outside china like you know taiwan or Vietnam or India, you know, pick pick a country that you pay attention to. Like, how do you research those companies?
2: Right, it's uh, uh, it's the same. So the the no matter which, so this is what process does. Uh, no matter what region or sector we're looking at, it's the same. It's the same process. The same four pillar. Um, you know uh, g- cash flow growth management and ESG so uh, in in practice how this is done is uh, no difference from how we did, did with China the local team would we have we have uh, Asian team pan-Asian team will cover pretty much all the countries in Asia so uh, they do research trips meet the companies
1: what countries are like uh, currently look favorable to you mm. in Asia
2: yes Right. So, uh, for so outside of China, for the rest of Asia, we favor India, Korea, and potentially Taiwan. Not not just f- purely from macro perspective, uh, but also more importantly, driven by the fact that we can find more great businesses in these regions. For example, if we start with India, India is an extremely interesting market. It's a market that's massive, but at early phase of development, uh, uh, as an economy, but at the same time, highly efficient. The combination of those three things are, are perfect for hunting for great businesses. The market size and the underdevelopment uh, status is sen- essentially makes most business most businesses a growth business. When, when, when we're sitting in Europe, we know how difficult it is to find growth in mature economy but in in india pretty much everything is a growth economy uh, industry so that's great the, the 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 inefficiency on the other hand means it's far easier to create a create a situation where a few companies dominating a whole industry and we we saw this in building materials consumer brands financial services etc uh, if you think about it, India is is not really a holistic market. It's, it's a comp- collection of loosely combined states that are that have vastly different culture and languages. And th- the barrier to build a truly nationwide business is so high that only a few companies can in each industry can actually manage to do this. But once this is done, it's also it also means no competitors can replicate. It's, they can't come in and, and, uh, to compete away the excess return. So these companies are going to generate uh, excess return uh, for a very, very long time. In
1: that's probably, of- yeah, that's probably one of the difference between China and India. China has, you know, universal, uh, uniform language. Uh, in China, if you're able to be the first, um, like, enter, then you're able to, you know, have built up a national market uh, pretty quickly compared to India.
2: Absolutely. So if you throw in the big market potential that we talk about, it's it's a hunting ground for multi-baggers. India is full of them. So uh, in terms of sector, we like housing, construction, financial services, e-commerce, these are all low penetrated uh, uh, market with lots of potential and very good industry structure. In some of the sub industry, you have only you know two or three companies dominating the whole industry, which is f- fantastic for pricing environment. Uh, um, for, sorry. Go, go ahead. ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. No, uh, I was I was just gonna finish my discussion on the rest. Uh, so for Korea, uh, we, it's a, the the way we assess each each market is is the same. We we go in there and we we look at where the best businesses are, uh, and for Korea, the the best businesses with Good global competitiveness are in the consumer sector, uh, particularly in cosmetics and uh, you know the uh, the the, uh, the you know uh, the the, the uh, yeah the cosmetics and related supply chain, um, uh, e-commerce as well, social media. Uh, Taiwan similar uh, s- similar angle in tech supply chain is very big part in Taiwan uh, story but you have to focus on the certain step in the supply chain they have massive market one or two company have massive market share and those are the company you want to want to focus on uh, they're very good with uh, Taiwanese companies are very good with, industri- with industrial automation uh, so niche players lots of them um, so as you can see, e-commerce is is pretty much uh, um, across the board a uh, kind of theme, because these countries are all have very these places all have very uh, uh, slow deb- adoption versus China in terms of e-commerce. So a lot more growth opportunity.
1: Um, how how do you uh, incorporate the macroeconomics in your investing process? Like what kind of if you do like what kind of macro signals do you pay attention to?
2: Right, sure. Uh, So uh, it's a very important question. So frankly, every investor will will have his or her own way of dealing with macro inputs in the process. I know many of uh, my peers are not uh, looking at macro at all. Um, For for pure bottom up uh, stock selection process, it's probably less important but but we choose a we chose a different approach because uh, for, for me this question really touches on some of the biggest drawback of a pure bottom up process it's it because it is very easy for a quality growth fund uh, fund to have 50% in technology and the other 50% in healthcare and consumers and that's it and in fact many many peers are doing exactly that and it's absolutely fine over a 10-year horizon it's gonna work it should work but from time to time it, it might create this approach might experience some bumpy rides uh, as we're discussing about you know rising interest rate and, and you know value and jeremy's earlier question on value growth versus growth and the, these are the period when you know a, a pure a very, uh various very uh, concentrated uh, strategy focusing on only a few industries or or region will experience some uh, maybe you know un- unnecessary volatility so so we choose uh, uh, again many people deal with dealing with this in in, uh, in different way we choose to deal with the question head on we see an opportunity to improve and optimize uh, on portfolio construction uh, perspective. So, uh, so we we explicitly add a macro overlay to portfolio construction process. And th- the starting point is is the benchmark. So whatever benchmark you're using uh, in our in our, if I use uh, the, take the global uh, as an example, it, the start the starting point is the Uh, MSI All Country World Index. Um, So what we do is to divide the world into matrix of regions and sectors. In terms of regions, uh, we divide the world into four major regions. The Americas, which includes both North America and Latin. That's about 60 percent of the world. EMEA, which includes Western Eastern Europe, Middle East and Africa. That's about uh, 18 percent of the world. And Japan is about seven percent. Asia, ex-Japan, uh, about fourteen percent. So that's the four major regional blocks And we, we we try to simplify the matrix. And in terms of sector, if you look at the other other dimension, uh, GICS have obviously eleven major sectors. We we divided them into three major types. The first type, we call them regional sectors. And uh, these are essentially financials, industrials, consumer discretionaries, three sectors. These are cyclical sectors that potentially have regional specific cycles. And, uh, uh, for example, a financial sector, uh, European banks will have a very different in- interest rate environment versus Japan or US. Um, and a few years ago, Japan was uh, US was raising interest rate, European never did. Um, after financial crisis, so it makes sense to divide this sector into regional blocks to make separate allocation decisions. The second type of sector is global sectors. Uh, these include energy, materials, information technology, communication services, healthcare, consumer consumer staples. These are not specific. Re- there's there are no a uh, major specific regional trend on these industries. They tend to follow the same global trends. And uh, if you pick an energy company, I don't think it adds a huge amount of value by uh, picking a, a U.S. or European oil companies j- just for the sake of it uh, diversification. So it, it's the same driven by same global oil price. But we, we can what we can do is to ignore the regional differences for these sectors and just do a global allocation for them. Last type is small sectors. These are essentially two two very small sectors: utilities and real estate. They're so small; uh, it's a, it's a, it's not very time efficient to to consider the regional nuances. So we do global allocation for them as well. So once you have this matrix by region uh, and sectors, you can do what we can do is to uh, to uh, make to choose. For each of the blocks, the best companies reflected by the stock selection process that I mentioned earlier, driven by conviction scores, the scoring system. So we can we can explicitly pick the best uh, American financial companies, even when they are not the best company best businesses in the world uh i force myself to allocate some capital to them just because at this point in time it might be right to overweight uh, uh american banks so so that that's the macro th- inputs that's uh that we've Im- Im- uh, embedded into the process uh it's uh yeah so so i, I the re- the, re- the reason we do this is you know we, we always talk about um uh, being rational as an investor, but we shouldn't forget about human side of this business, especially from perspective of our clients, individual or institutional, they're all the, they're all the same. Very few people can really tolerate excess volatilities uh, driven by factor shift and star rotation and all that stuff. So we, we must appreciate that. So if we can help them to have a better experience with investing By controlling the probability of extreme outcomes caused by certain macro elements, uh, they can stay with the strategy for longer and really benefit from the the long-term compounding effect.
1: That's really, yeah, I think, uh, you know, risk management of a portfolio, definitely a huge concern. Um, how do you um, rebalance your portfolios? How frequent do you do? I mean, Asia generally, particularly China, is considered a high turnover investment area. Also, um, I want to mention a little bit, you know, at, Wis- at Wisdom here we firmly believe in uh, differentiating companies between state-owned and ex-state-owned, particularly when it comes to uh, country emerging market in China? And what's your view in this?
2: Mm. Right. Okay. Um, so uh, on, the, on the Asia, so rebalancing, uh, portfolio rebalancing is done um, at very, it's also driven by the process. So the weights that we, um, uh, each position have uh, is, dynamic and driven by um, the changes of the conviction score, largely. So if you think about it, the conviction score capture uh, the company's quality, which which is those four pillars and valuation. So if a conviction score, if a company score has deteriorated, it's either because the fundamental with one of those four or more pillars of those four are deteriorating or the valuation has become twofold. Uh, then, then it gives us a, a a signal that uh, we should consider trimming the position and and replacing it with something uh, that's that's more attractive measured by the score. But um, this is the major, usually the major reason that we change a a, a position rather than. Uh, so a, I I know where you're coming from when when we ask the turnover question because uh, uh, our uh, uh, you know, particularly local uh, Chinese colleagues, are, not colleagues, uh, peers, uh, are, are, uh, t- they tend to go all in and all out uh, and, and at, a, at a certain particular theme, uh, trade for a few months and then come out of it. And that's, that's definitely something we don't want to do. Uh, we want to, we, we firmly believe that long-term compounding, you know, focus on quality long-term compounders in China will work for that market as well, so we, we don't churn the portfolio just because uh, we think uh, this 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 uh, this uh, sector as as is going to be quiet or underperform for the next few months and let's move on to something else. Uh, it's purely driven by whether the company's quality is uh, has changed or valuation has changed enough that to very to to justify a, a, a looking for alternative ideas. But on top of that, there are, uh, we just discussed the macro element of the portfolio construction. Uh, If we, um, so every month we sit down with the macro team to discuss which part, uh, which region or sector to overweight, underweight. So those decisions can drive uh, position size change as well. So if we particularly are positive with a certain region, we will will potentially increase the size of those uh the the uh, the stocks in those regional sectors even when their fundamentals are not changing uh so those are the driver for turnovers uh then to a second point um the state in in when it comes to china state-owned or or private uh we don't have a uh so it's 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 again one of those things with you know they're they're a label your state-owned company or or private company is just a label. Doesn't mean you you're going to behave in the same way. So we go back to we we try to ignore the label, but go go to assess those companies against our our process. Uh, if uh, then we own so many state-owned companies in the just because, and we own both. We own both both of them, and it's it's it's, it's mer- they they're, 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 our ownership of them is mer. Is is um, uh, merit based coming, yeah it's, it's it's coming from it's got exactly merit based it's it's coming from their quality uh and sometimes then uh, uh you know some i know where this question uh, i know where the angle is coming from because the uh owned companies tend to be uh low efficiency and the corporate governance is not great but uh that's just a, a general uh, summarization uh, generalization but In reality, it's case by case. Some of the state-owned companies are, uh, I would argue, very good corporate governance versus uh, their private competitors. Um, So, I think that
1: generally the ex-state-owned companies have a little bit higher growth, right? And also China is um, trying to shed. Uh, a lot of state-owned companies. That is the trend, which I think uh, here, at least in the you you know in the English media, has not paid enough attention.
2: Mm. The, the uh, also case by case. Uh, if you refer to state-owned companies, as um, you know, the telecoms, the the you know certain state-owned banks. Yes, yes, they uh, they are slow growing, uh, but. Uh, it's it's not um, they they in some cases uh, in some other cases they they some state-owned companies have huge growth opportunities. Um, yeah, it's it, you know, for example the the, the du- duty uh, duty-free shopping. Uh, That's
1: right. Yes, in-
2: industry right. So the the growth opportunity is enormous, and it's a state monopoly kind of uh, industry. So. Uh, so it's case by case i would i would um i, I would m- assess each company against those four things well you know excess return growth management team esg and then make a conclusion based on that
1: this is great jeremy do you have any uh, questions and um
0: no jeff this has been a fantastic conversation thanks for again for joining us i guess any Closing remarks as you think about, you know, just putting China in context of the rest of the world or any other opportunities you want to close our listeners with your, your sort of final thoughts on and,
1: and where our listeners can go and find you.
0: <laughs> right. Uh, fantastic. So uh,
2: so as I would like to close by by making a case for China f- as a global PM. Uh, why why that why that country particularly and, and I think before I do that, I think uh, you guys are doing a great job by Education that uh, our audience in, in about that country because there's really so Little objective information is is there out there about about that region. So uh, thank you for that. So first of all uh, um, Why China so first of all, I believe China is going to be a important asset classes over the next decade uh, if you look at so, I look at things globally. So China under China is very under-indexed in the global equity market. It's a, it's an economy representing nearly twenty percent of global GDP on pr- purchase price parity basis. This is IMF number. But last year was nineteen point two percent, but it's only five percent in the MSCI all country index if if you are a global asset allocator for 5% you don't really care you you, you wouldn't bother uh, in comparison us is you know 15% of global gdp share 57 you know now 60% of global equity market that's there's a there's a clear mismatch between china china economy's size and its importance in global financial markets so that's that's point number 1 Number two, point number two, the return of China should be structurally higher than the rest of the world, and this is because the, the economy is will continue to grow at a higher rate, driven by both consumption and innovation. We didn't go into innovation today, but uh, maybe some point in the future we can do that. But this is this is driven by that. But also, China has a very less less n- abnormal. Uh, Monetary and fiscal policies, which means return the starting base return should be higher to start with uh, Third point is that this return Is low correlation with the rest of the world if you take today was for example the rest of the, uh, yesterday um, you, The rest of the world declined uh, Asia China went up today. It's, it's the correlation is relatively low for asset allocator a high un- high return that is uncorrelated is always going to be a positive contribution to a portfolio. So for these three reasons, I expect more and more people will discover China uh, as a market to become a main, China will become a mainstream asset class over the coming decades. It, it might be even uh, bigger than European market, which is, as I am earlier mentioned, is close to 20%. So the last point I want to make uh, as as a active fund, uh, investor is that I think the alpha opportunity in China is is massive. Uh, it's it's uh, we can find all those multibaggers, long term multibaggers in China. The rest of the the rest of the uh, all, the rest of the world will slightly have more slight more difficulty to to uh, explore china for because for foreign capitals the research barrier as i mentioned earlier is, is quite high so so uh, so they they haven't been uh, they haven't been able to deep dive into the market to explore the full potential for local investors which we only also touched on earlier most local pms are a victim of short term incentive system they they are they are ranked every month, and uh, if you rank uh, bottom quarter of, of that year, the current year, you, your job security is a pro- is in danger. So, so for that reason, you don't really care about long-term, multi-year um, investment opportunities. You, if if, if um, a certain sector is going up, you have to be on that train. Otherwise, your ranking will be hurt. So that's, that also explains why the market is volatile. And uh, that's why the alpha opportunity is is a lot. We we firmly believe long-term compounding should work in China. Whoever can tolerate the volatility with the long-term view, that uh, this market has a lot of potential, potential, should benefit enormously. That's, that's where we want to, you know, all of us should position ourselves into. Uh, as a global manager, it's my job to compare investment opportunities across regions As I can see, China is is one of the major uh, brewing ground for 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 long term compounders over the next decade. So don't believe uh, this for this is me to 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 your audience. Uh, Don't please don't believe uh, most of the things you read on on media uh, about about China, about Asia. Go and have a look um, yourself. I'm sure it will change your mind.
1: Thank you so much. And that's the goal of our podcast. I really personally feel that there's so much um, misinformation on on, on, uh, Asian as a region, I think, not just China. Uh, So hopefully we can bring. uh, And thank you so much.
2: So thank you. You guys are doing an extremely valuable job. Thanks.